The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing. Every single week, we strive to give you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And today, we're doing that by telling you how you might be paying too much tax (laughs) or not maybe appropriately protecting your assets. I know, like taxes and asset protection. Why do we have to talk about that? Well, because it's like a super important part of every small business's planning. And here in the real estate investing world, at least for the moment, we have some unique tax benefits that... Uh, unfortunately, not everyone knows how to take advantage of. So we're calling today Ask the CPA Day. It's, you know, I'm not a tax expert. Y'all call me, you ask tax questions, and I say, well, you're going to go want to talk to your accountant about that. Well, today we have Bill Knoll, who is not only a certified public accountant, but also an attorney, and he's had... He's had a long career in everything from litigation to criminal defense to uh, then coming over to our side of the fence where he has uh, been specializing in working with real estate investors of all sizes, little to giant, on tax and uh asset protection issues. So he's the expert, people. This is the day to call if you have those tax questions, and they can be as basic as, you know, I don't understand what a 1031 exchange is, or as complex as some of the ones that have already come into the email box at askvina at gmail.com. Uh, Bill is here to talk about stuff that's going on in the tax world, but really what we wanted to do is answer lots of your questions. The number here in the studio, if you want to call it in, is 877 877- Seven seven two nine six five eight, or again, you can send him via email to askvina at gmail dot com. He's joining us by phone today from his office in Pennsylvania. Bill, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Well, thank you, Vina. It is nice to speak with you again, and I am looking forward to taking all of your listeners' questions as we get started. Yeah, we so so we put out an email earlier today saying that you were going to be here. And we've gotten some very interesting questions as, as a okay. result of this that I wouldn't even know how to start to tackle. So I'm glad you're here, too, because, uh, you know, I, most of these I would have been like, oh, can't answer that one, can't answer that one. 
but I want to I want to start with something a little more. Um, I don't know, kind of, I think it's, I think it's of interest to everybody who owns real estate. And that is, are there any updates that we need to know that are pending or coming in the federal tax law as it, as it uh, relates to real estate? Because I know everybody was in a panic about a year and a half ago because there was this talk of, depreciation is going to be disallowed. There will be no more 1031 exchanges. There was, there was some stuff that was maybe going to happen. Is any of that really going to happen? So, um, Vina, I think you're referring to the presidential campaign in 2020 (laughs) and, um, you know, the current president, president Biden, as part of his campaign, uh, and some of the people who were, uh, surrogates of his were, proposing some very, I'm going to call them radical changes to the tax code. And those radical changes included no longer allowing real estate investors to do a 1031 exchange, which I can get into later, but which allows someone in essence to sell a property and buy what's called a replacement property for more money. And uh, if they don't take any cash out of the deal, they don't have to pay any taxes. So it's a really uh, beneficial strategy for wealth building in real estate, and there was talk of disallowing that. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that was talked about was to tax uh, the owners of not just real estate but any assets, to tax the owners of assets at their death, um, in essence, on the appreciation. So in essence, pay a capital gains tax even though the asset had not been disposed of Mm -hmm. so that, um, you know, there was talk of getting rid of what's known as the stepped-up basis of death rule. Mm -hmm. And that rule, the stepped-up basis of death rule, basically says, although the person who dies has a basis based upon what they paid for the property, that um, when a person inherits property from a decedent, from a dead person, their basis is not the old person's basis, but it is instead the fair market value of the property. And it gives people the ability, really, uh, when they understand the tax code, to escape significant taxation on the appreciation of assets. Mm-hmm. So there was talk of disallowing um, the stepped-up basis at death rule and actually requiring the inheritors to pay tax on the value of the property, even if they hadn't sold it. Mm -hmm. So that was uh, something that was of great concern. And, um, you know, there were other discussions about changes, as you said, to depreciation. There's things called bonus depreciation. They're probably too in-depth for this. But um, there was a lot of proposals, and people were really nervous. So I have been keeping a very close eye on that. And what I can tell you is um, the current – Build Back Better plan, which remains pending in the House of Representatives, does not change any of the rules as they relate to real estate investors. So you're still allowed to do 1031 exchanges. The stepped-up basis of death rule still uh, stays in place. Depreciation rules stay the same. Really, um, the manner in which you calculate income or losses from rental real estate And the manner in which you calculate a gain or a loss on the sale of investment real estate, none of that is going to change 
in the Build Back Better bill. So all of those proposals are no longer included. Mm -hmm. So I think that real estate investors um, can breathe a sigh of relief when it comes to all those changes. What does change, according to the Build Back Better plan, again, which um, isn't yet a law, but which might still become a law, is that um, tax rates could go up for higher income people, generally people earning over $400,000. So that that's the change is, and that's across the board, just not re- re- related to real estate, but um, <clears throat> tax rates going up for people of, of higher income. So we don't have to worry about those things, but there were an awful, uh, there were a lot of people that had great concerns. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And those things, I mean, you say we don't have to worry about them. Mm-hmm. I would say we don't have to worry about them, comma, now. for right now. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, although, um, you know, I, I certainly there's always there's always changes to the federal estate tax, and within the ambit of the federal estate tax is the stepped-up basis of death rule. Mm-hmm. So there, there's always a possibility of changes there. Um, the fact of the matter is the 1031 exchange for real estate has existed for, I mean, I think it might be 80-plus years. So, uh, and, and the reality is that although it sounds like a big deal, um, I think as a campaign talking point, the reality is 1031 exchanges are typically done by smaller investors. If you get into a real estate investment trust or a hedge fund that holds a, you know, a 40-story office building, they don't do 1031 exchanges. So once you understand that, the reality is it has very little impact on the overall uh, budget. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, it becomes like a small potatoes thing. So I doubt that there will ever be a change made to the 1031 exchange in particular. Well, I'm knocking wood right now <laughs> that, that, that that is, in fact, the case. Now, we, we need to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Bill, who is on line one. And we're also going to answer your tax questions. You got tax questions? And don't be shy about asking, like, really basic stuff. If there's something that's been confusing you since you joined your local RIA three weeks ago and you're like you've been afraid to ask the question because you're like oh everyone's going to think that's stupid no see nobody can see you on the radio you can use a fake name for all I care you know whatever just just call and ask it get it answered get it behind you 877-772-9658 or email it to askvina at gmail.com Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking today to attorney-slash-CPA Bill Knoll about what you what you guys want to talk about, all right? This is your big chance to ask questions. We're going to go to the phones now, starting on line one with Bill from Cincinnati. Bill, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Bill? I feel like Bill, like, walked away from his phone and doesn't hear. I like the lines Hello? open, but... Bill from Cincinnati. Yep, I'm here. Do you, what's your question for the other Bill? Okay. Uh, yep, long time listener, first time caller. So um, I feel like kind of a bonehead for this one. So I'm using an alias. We'll just say I'm Bill Cook from Cincinnati here. <laughs> um, but I uh, I, I uh, accidentally sold a property yesterday. That, that wasn't the accident, but I, I should have probably 1031 this one. 
and I failed to do so. Now, I don't yet have the proceeds from the closing, and I've got a, a fairly flexible buyer, but I'm just wondering if it's too late for me to do anything with that 1031. Oh, boy. Although uh, I closed yesterday. So, Bill, um, I think the answer is if, it, if, if there was, a, you know, a deed, um, it's done, unfortunately, even if you don't have the proceeds. Um, so I don't think that that can be reversed. I mean, you know, you got to have a, uh, qualified intermediary basically sign off on the settlement sheet and you didn't have one. So, um, you know, unless there's a way, and I'm not aware of one to, in essence, you know, delete all the documents as though a closing has not occurred, I think the answer is, unfortunately, you're stuck. Okay, I figured that may be the case. I can bite the bullet on this one and use it as a learning experience for next time. Yeah, next time, decide ahead of time you want to exchange it because there's actually different paperwork at the closing that has to be signed. And like the closing statement needs to say that the the check is being written to the qualified intermediary, not to you. So if you know, know if you know that, I mean, I know closings are happening fast now, but if you put it under if the if it went under contract today and it was going to close in two weeks, you would have time to set up an exchange. Yeah, that's roughly how quickly this one went. It was about a two week closing, and unfortunately, I had a five thousand dollar plumbing emergency pop up and. Uh, no, no. Took my eye off the ball. Next time. Next time. All yep. right. Thank you for your call, Bill. Yep. Thank you. Uh, okay. Now we're going to go to line three and talk to Mr. Cleveland in Minnesota. <laughs> hey, Mr. Cleveland. What's up today? Hello. I have a question. I acquired a property that has uh, back taxes on it, and that's part of the deal of uh, acquiring the property. Can I go to the county and set up a payment plan or does it depend on the county? So you're talking about real estate taxes. There's not like a federal tax lien on this. The guy just didn't pay his real estate taxes before you bought it. No, we're, we're talking property tax. Okay. Right. So I think that's really uh, a county specific issue. Um, you know, and I, I think that um, it really is, is, is determined by the practice and procedure of, you know, the tax collector within um, the county where you're going. So um, I certainly think there's a possibility because, um, you know, the, the reality is it's more work for a county to, you know, put it up for auction on a tax lien. So my suggestion would be to get in touch with the county tax collector and explain the situation and, um, you know, see how they're willing to work with you. My suspicion is they might give you 12 or 24 months. I don't think they're going to agree to, you know, much longer than that would be my, my guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it never, it never hurts to ask because I, I know in our county, They'll give you 24 months of payments, and there's an interest rate, but it's like 8%, which is what you would pay a private lender to borrow the money to pay the tax bill. So it's it's kind of like getting cheap financing on the tax bill instead of paying cash for it. So definitely ask. 
Sure, but they'll still add the penalties until it's paid off. Uh, not necessarily. A lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, I don't know what county you're in specifically, but a lot of counties are so, are so glad that somebody's actually offering to pay the bill that they don't continue to charge penalties. They just charge the interest rate. So ask. Yeah, and I think, I, I, I yeah, you gotta ask, and I think, um, in, in, in some states, once you're in a payment plan, the penalty is stopped by the statute. Yep. So you need to get on the phone with your, you're in Minnesota, it's only 4 o'clock there, so you need to get on the phone with your county tax collector and say, what arrangements can I make for a payment plan and see what they have to offer you. Sounds Although good. My Thank experience, you. Yeah, in my experience, never call after 3.30 to a county office. <laughs> <laughs> you, might, you might get an answer, but it might not be the right one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's not worth it. I, I, I call first thing in the morning. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you for your call, Mr. Cleveland. Um, so got a, got a fairly maybe com- – it sounds complex to me, Bill. Maybe it's not going to be complex to you. Uh, question from Pat via email. She says, my husband and I sold a home, a personal residence, 18 months ago, and we took the capital gain exclusion, which was $80,000. So she took her 121 exclusion. We had lived in the home for two of the last five years. We have a a second personal residence, and now we're getting transferred by our company. I have about a $250,000 capital Uh, gain on this one. We've lived in this home two of the last five years. Am I able to take oh, the exclusion? Oh, Actually, I think the – I've never specifically looked this up, Vina. But, I mean, I'm pretty sure – I thought she was going to say she was there six months and got transferred. No, she's been there two and, of the last five years. Okay, but she, if she's meeting the test two of five, okay, um, oh – I'm trying to remember. You can only do, I, I, you know what I had a client. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to recall this. Uh, I, there is a restriction. I know that you can't do it in consecutive years, Vina. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I'm certain of. So if she sold a property in 2021, then took the exclusion and now in 2022 is going to sell the second property, then um, I, I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to do that. And no. I, I don't remember exactly why, okay, um, but I had a somewhat similar issue with a client, okay? So assume for the moment that, that she can't qualify to do that. Mm-hmm. So then – she had an $80,000 gain on the first residence that she sold that she would meet the um, test for. She's now going to have a $250,000 gain on this second residence. Mm-hmm. And so I think that if, if, if she – I believe that she could amend the return. So let's say that she files that she sold her primary residence in 2021 – and had an $80,000 gain that she excluded, okay? Mm-hmm. 
But now she wants to take the exclusion on the one with the $250,000 gain. I think that she can actually amend the return for 2021, pay the tax on the $80,000. Now she hasn't used up the exclusion, and then she can um, use the exclusion when she sells the second residence with the $250,000 gain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, she did say that she sold that first property 18 months ago, so it wouldn't have been, oh. it would have been on her 2020 taxes, not her 2021 yeah. um, taxes. I'm, I, gosh, I just, I, off the top of my head, Vina, I just can't recall what the timetable is. Um, she, I, I just know that there is a restriction. Yeah, she. Because I dealt with something where it was, like I said, that particular case was consecutive years, um, and I'm, yeah, I she, just don't remember. Even if it's two years, I I got a feeling it might be two years, you know, so yeah, I think she might still be stuck. That's, she actually says that later in her email. She says, do I have to wait a full two years? Yeah. Now, one other thing that she can consider, but I don't think that this would help all that much, is... There is a an exception if you don't meet but there's an exception if you don't meet the two and five year test because you get transferred due to a job change. And I think then they kind of do a prorated mm. where you know you could take let's say you have a you're married, you have a half million dollar gain and you know after living there one year, you can at least exclude the first hundred thousand, ah. as, as for instance. So there, I know that there is a a little bit of an exception on the two slash five year rule when you have something like a job change where it's unanticipated. Another thing would be like health, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So she certainly, my recommendation is that Pat, you know, talk to her accountant because. You know, worst case scenario, she could certainly amend and then potentially pay, you know, pay the gain on the le- on the lesser gain on the 80. And then uh, she would certainly be eligible for the full exemption of the 250. So I'd say that's the worst case scenario. But as I said, there is um, an emergency exception, but I don't think it would get her all the way to the $250,000 exemption. Well, personally, I would rather go back and pay the taxes on the 80 and take the 250 right. exemption. Exactly. Or, yeah, that, that would be my take, too. Or alternative B is wait six months to sell this property because then you're outside yeah. of those two years. And, exactly. And the amount that's of... A, yeah, no, that's another thing. I mean, theoretically, although they might be worried about the market mm-hmm. slowing down and then being stuck with it. So, um Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Okay. So we've got a bunch more questions here in the e- in the uh, email box, but we do need to take a quick break. If you have a tax question, this is the day to ask it, and this is the guy to ask it from. Like Bill is kind of semi-famous as a, like people know who people know who he is because he's been doing all kinds of uh, you know complicated tax stuff for real estate investors for many, many years. So give us a call at 877-772-9658 or send your question to askvina at gmail.com. 
Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Bill Knoll, and I'm, I'm watching these questions pile up in my email box, and I'm thinking we may have to have Bill on again before uh, November when he's going to be one of the featured speakers at the National Real Estate Strategy Summit here in Cincinnati. That's November 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th. we got a lot of really great like subject matter experts all in one place at one time and bills our tax and asset protection guy so uh make sure that you have that on your calendar and that you're planning on being here in cincinnati that weekend because uh, otherwise you're going to be all alone like every real estate investor you know is going to be there you're going to be like what happened to everybody everybody disappeared they're going to be here in cincinnati so uh, you will hear more about that in the upcoming weeks here on Real Life Real Estate. We're going to give you an opportunity to pledge to the station and get a ticket. And uh, you get to hear Bill and a bunch of other really great experts on on other real estate-related topics. But I uh, just thought I should let you all know that that is happening as well. Okay, Bill, you might want to get out a pen. Cause I've got some notes. I've got a, I've got I'm a, making notes. I've got a, I've got a great question here that's kind of creative finance related and, and also yeah. tax related. Okay. So Hannah says, I have a property owner who is 85 and is about to sell a very expensive building in San Francisco. She got the property in the nineties and she will pay a fortune in taxes if she sells this outright. She is aware of this. She's moving into another one of her buildings because she needs a ground floor apartment. Uh, her husband was the real estate investor, not her. And, she, sure. and he passed six years ago. He managed all the properties. Mm-hmm. And before he died, he hired a property management company. They call yeah. her once in a while and she gets upset because she doesn't fully understand the problems with the properties or the tenants. Yep. I believe the property would sell for three million. What can I offer her that would con- would keep her from having to pay this giant capital gains tax bill? How would I help her maybe move into notes for long-term income? Her beneficiary is only 26, and he will inherit her entire portfolio, which I believe is around $20 million. Therefore, I believe something like a 30- or 40-year mortgage would suit her fine as well as her beneficiary. Is there any special way you would suggest putting together a proposal? Okay, so here's what here's what I think I'm hearing Hannah say. Hannah wants to buy the property. Yep. And she is trying to come up with a way to minimize the tax. So here's the first thing I'm going to say, okay? This isn't good for Hannah, but if I were advising the owner, I would tell her under no circumstances to sell that property mm-hmm. because of the stepped-up basis rule that we talked about earlier. She doesn't have to sell the property, okay? She just has to move, okay? So if I were representing the owner, I would I would kick and scream to stop the owner from selling the property. Now, having said that, the question was asked by Hannah. Hannah's saying, how can you minimize the taxes? Well, one thing is um, if Hannah and then her heirs were willing to sell the property and then, in essence, hold a mortgage on the property, I'm sorry, if, if the seller, not Hannah, were to sell the property, hold a mortgage from Hannah, then um, basically the property owner could use installment sale treatment, mm-hmm. okay? 
that's that's the good news. Now, here's the bad news, okay? Let's just say she's saying that, that Hannah had bought this place, you know, in the 90s. Let's say Hannah's husband paid 400000 for it. Just pick a number, mm-hmm. okay? 400000 for it. And then maybe he put some improvements in over the years, okay? So over the years, basically the property has been depreciated to the tune of probably half a million dollars, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm excluding a land value there, all right? So the thing is, if when you do an installment sale, you get to defer the capital gains tax, except you have to pay the recapture tax immediately. So the maximum recapture tax, and I'll just assume for the moment, that, it, and I don't know what her income might be, but I'll assume for the moment that she's in a middle to higher tax bracket, the seller. So at that point, the seller would potentially have $125,000 tax liability um, because she has to pay the recapture, you know, in the year that the installment sale takes place. Mm-hmm. And then she pays capital gains as the note is repaid. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that is the best Hannah can hope for. There's, there's not any way if she does it as an installment sale – to um, um, avoid, to avoid the, the, the recapture tax, mm-hmm. okay? Now, um, th- this is one other thought. This is me kind of thinking out loud, and, 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 you know, Vina, you might have some ideas on this. The fact of the matter is um, the property owner is just better off selling this thing upon death, you know what I mean, after she dies. Mm-hmm. So... If the if Hannah could in essence get a you know some kind of long term lease with a option to buy at a fixed price upon the seller's death, okay, then in essence she would control the property, she would be able to improve it if she chose to, she would be responsible of course for collecting the rents and everything else. In essence, when you become when you have a lease with an option to buy like that, you become the beneficial owner. And under the Internal Revenue Code, if you're the beneficial owner, you're actually even allowed to take depreciation on the property. So, um, you know that's a, that would be potentially a way if you can get you know the seller to agree to a long-term lease with a you know with an option to buy so that would be the other i mean probably that's the best of all worlds if 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 you can get the owner um willing to do that 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 was exactly my thought was what what i heard and you know it's just an email so that i heard this from the email is that the owner is considering selling because she is frustrated by her property manager exactly. ever talking yes. to her like that's the reason right. she's thinking about yes. selling so the way to solve that problem and also leave that heir with the maximum amount of money is get a master lease for the property and agree to pay $3 million for it, you know, pay full price for it, but with a long-term option. So maybe a 10-year option, whatever. I might even make it a 15-year option because the second you get a 10-year option, this woman's going to live to be 100 years old. So 
say, 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 you know, I will not exercise my option until I get word that you have passed on to the great beyond. At that point, I will exercise my option and your heir will inherit it at a stepped up basis, which means probably there will be no taxes for him. Because one assumes exactly. in San Francisco in 10 years, that building is going to be worth, you know, 50% more than it is right now. So the estate appraisal will say it's now worth $4.5 million. He just sold it for $3 million. He's got no gain, but he's got $3 million. He actually has a capital loss if he has other assets. Hmm. Yeah, so that was that was exactly the suggestion that I was going to make, Hannah, is structure this as a lease with option to buy rather than an installment sale. And, you know, I said that, please get some legal counsel there because you are going to need to record the option. You're going to need to oh, yeah. maybe record a mortgage to secure that option because it's possible that grandson here goes... Um, after she dies and you're like, okay, I'm exercising my option, says, that's not fair. You should be paying $4.5 million for this property. And he doesn't want, he, he wants to ignore the deal that you and grandma made. Uh, so you, you're going to need to record some documents. And obviously the terms of the lease, because lease, lease implies a monthly payment from you, right? The terms of the lease need to be such that you can create the cash flow that you want for for owning, managing, repairing, dealing with this property during the time that you don't actually own it, but that that lease and option are going on. So, yeah, I completely agree, Bill, that that is that's probably the best solution. the The only secondary thing I could say would be go find her something she likes better. F- go find a three million dollar property that uh, is a triple net. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a medical building and it's, sure. it's on a triple net lease and no one is ever going to call her and ask her to do anything, but yet it provides income and trader. Absolutely. Now that would work too. Yeah. That, that's often, that's often hard to talk but people you know into what? when they're, I mean, I, I, here's, you know what, uh, Vina, here's, here's my guess at the problem. The 85-year-old owner is not going to understand the lease with the option to buy and all these issues. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. she probably never dealt with the finances. Her husband did. She just wants to kind of not think about it. Right. And so in a way, I, I actually think, you know, the, the reality is that's the best route. But, you know, you get an older person that doesn't understand these concepts. Maybe the easier thing, as you just pointed out, is, to find a property with, you know, like you said, a triple net with no maintenance, you know, no headaches, and do an exchange that way. Then she doesn't have to pay any taxes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that is another possibility. But, I, you know, if I, assuming she's compass mentis, and if she's not, you shouldn't be doing this deal at all. Uh, assuming, well, she, no, right. <laughs> assuming she's compass mentis, I, I think if I could sit with her for an hour, three or four times, and also talk to her advisor... Because I, I bet you she has gatekeepers. If she's got that kind of estate, she's got attorneys, she's got CPAs. Talk to them and say, look at how well this works out for your client, and let them give it the nod. And I, you know, I don't know. I maybe I'm overconfident, but I think I could maybe make her understand that. Look, the important thing to you is you get money every month. Your grandkid gets a much larger inheritance, and you never have to deal with the tenant again. And your attorney should yeah. advise you about the documents. You know, that's that's kind of the way I would put it to him. So great question, Hannah. 
I love that one. All right, we need to take one more break, and then we're going to get through as many of these questions in, in the inbox as we can. Uh, if you have a last-minute question, you better call it in right now, 877-772-9658, or send it to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Bill Knoll. As you can probably tell, we are talking taxes today. This is a unique chance to talk to somebody who's got years of experience. He's probably already run across all these situations that y'all are thinking, there's no solution. He will tell you if there's no solution. <laughs> you got questions, send them to askvina at gmail.com or... If you can do it in the next couple of minutes, you can call us at 877-772-9658. Okay. So question from Chris. Does the sale of a rental house to an adult child tenant, so I'm thinking like he's the father and selling it to an adult child, disqualify Mm -hmm. the parent seller from enjoying long-term capital gains tax treatment and instead subject the parent to ordinary income tax treatment because the sale is to a relative? Uh, I've never specifically looked that up, Vina, so I'm sorry that I can't say with certainty, but I strongly doubt it. Um, There are, uh, and, and let me just say this, okay? I'm assuming that the sale's done at fair market value. That and, and because of the relationship between the buyer and the seller, it would make sense to pay for an appraisal. Um, and and presum- but presumably, um, you know, there's going to be a mortgage, you know, so you'd get an appraisal with the mortgage anyway. Right. So I think, you know, certainly as long as it's an arm's length value, fair market value, no. I don't believe it disqualifies your long-term capital gains treatment. Uh, what the IRS worries about primarily in kind of familial deals is that it is a disguised gift of some sort. Hmm. So as, generally, as long as you're, you know, it's, it's a fair market value um, deal, I, don't, I, I doubt, Chris, that you would have any problems. So let, let's, throw, let's throw a, uh, a little entity um thing at this because because chris talks like he like he is going to sell the house to his son joe yeah right chris you know joe should have an llc if he's buying a rental house he should have an llc you should i was kind of assuming it was going to be a primary residence ah yeah okay that's a possibility yeah Um, yeah, when i when i when i was reading i was thinking it was just gonna be like it's a rental now and the kid's gonna buy it and live there okay yeah i agree with you that if it, I agree that if it will be an investment property, you should have an LLC holding title. Yes. Okay, so does that, since the IRS actually considers LLCs artificial people, so it's no longer no, it's no longer really no. Joe, it's his LLC, no. would that make a difference? It, it, probably not, um, because the the, the chi- if the child is the sole owner of the LLC, it's what's called a disregarded entity, and it then just becomes part of the owner's personal assets. Even though it's held within an LLC, it's reported on the individual tax return. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that would change anything. Now, having said that, um, I don't know that I've done the research on it, but you raise an interesting point if you had a partner 
and it was an investment property, mm-hmm. um, you know, at that point, that would change things. So then you got a partnership tax return being filed separately from the owner. So um, that's a possibility. But really, I don't see this. I don't see this being a problem as long as the sales, you know, basically at the current value. Sale. Yeah. Okay. All right. A question from Alan, and this is about opportunity zones. He says, it seems like opportunity zone zones are tougher to handle than 1031 exchanges. So in other words, you know, you don't just get to go buy a property in an opportunity zone and say, oh, I get a tax deduction. There's all this stuff that has to be set yeah. up around well, not it. Not only that, not only that, the op- people in real estate think of opportunity zones as equivalent to 1031s, and they're, they're, they're very different. The first thing is this. If you buy in an opportunity zone, the capital gains is only deferred for a few years. You still have to pay the capital gain on that original investment. Now, the capital gain can be tax can be reduced by 15% if you hold it like five years, as I recall, off the top of my head. But you're still paying 85% of the capital gains tax on you know, on the property that's sold with the proceeds going into an opportunity zone. So the real benefit of the opportunity zone is that whatever investment you make within the opportunity zone, if you hold it for 10 years, then there's no tax on that gain whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is um, you need to realize that you're going to have to have money available to pay the tax on the deferred and reduced uh, tax, on the reduced capital gains tax, on that original property. So that's number one. Um, so honestly, I, I I I think that opportunity zones are tough nuts. And, and, and I think in his email, he even said they seem a little complicated or something. Or yeah. was that you? Well, no, his, 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 his the, the rest of his question is any comments on opportunity zones, any tricks to make them easier? I no. have, a, I have the a sale. In... No, <laughs> no, that's the answer. The answer is I have, uh, worked with several clients who have kind of looked into it and then not pursued it because there's just so much involved. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, which is why almost immediately upon the announcement that this thing was going to happen, uh, companies set up to be quote opportunity zone funds, so that exactly. they, they 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 do the paperwork, they acquire the properties, and your your ownership, uh, your 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 returns on your ownership in those are sort of capped. Like the company says. Yeah, you're you're an owner, so you do get the capital gains deferral, but you're going to get ten percent return. It's all it's it's a weird combination. Right. It's almost like a well, loan. And, and, and the 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 other thing I worry about with the qualified opportunity fund—that's what those things are called—is any two Joe Blows can create a qualified opportunity fund. Like there is no—I don't even know what the word I want to use is. There's no requirements for audits. There's no nothing. So, I mean, there's a lot of charlatans, I think, taking advantage of people by claiming that they're doing qualified opportunity funds. And I I think a lot of them are going to go belly up. Mm, Okay. 
Okay, so Alan, you said you, you've got a sale in process, so you have time to go either way. You might want to start looking for a replacement property yeah, in a 1031. Exactly. I was just going to say, <laughs> All right, a question from JC in Las Vegas. He says, would you please ask Bill if vacant land is by definition held for investment for 1031 exchange purposes, regardless of how long you own the land or what you did with it. So in other words, I, we assume he's got a piece of land that he's had for maybe 10 years. Sure. The, the you know, land land being, quote, held for investment is an interesting okay. thing. No, I, I think I know why he's saying that. Okay. Um, if you were a land developer, okay, then your land would be inventory, and inventory is not allowed to be used for a 1031 exchange, even if you happen to be a builder, okay? So I think he's aware of the distinction. So what he's saying is he's holding land as an investment, not as inventory as a builder, and does it qualify for 1031 treatment? And the answer is absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. You can do a 1031 exchange where you're, Sold property is a residential rental. It could be multi-unit. And then you exchange into land. On the other side of the coin, you can sell land, which was held as an investment, as this person was saying, JC, and then um, buy a replacement property, which could be either a residential or commercial or industrial property. Mm -hmm. So you're not stuck land for land. I think that's what he was getting at. Yes. Well, and I think, I think part of, as again, reading between the lines here, I think part of the question is, is there such thing as vacant land held for investment? Because usually when we're talking about quote held for investment, we mean that it, it was uh, put out in some way that it would generate income, right? Like a, a rental property <coughs> is held for investment because I held on yeah. to it and got well, rent. So I, I'll give an example of that. Um, in fact, I talked to, it, talked to someone once, I mean, I think it was an investing event, and this person had a lot, and he had a friend that had a, um, like a, 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 it was a, he was an owner-operator tractor-trailer guy, and the guy said, can I park my tractor-trailer there? And the guy's like, yeah, he goes, well, you know, how about if I charge you 400 a month, right? So his friend did it. Next thing you know, he's got like 18 guys parking <laughs> tractor-trailers on this lot. He's making great money. Okay, so he's generating rental income on raw, undeveloped land. Mm-hmm. So that would be an example there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what if I just bought it 10 years ago thinking this is in the path of progress and it will be worth more in 10 years? Can I? I think it's fine. As long as you're not. Here's what I would say. If you go to the city or the county and you tr- you start trying to subdivide it, that's where you're going to get closer to the possibility of. You know, so the IRS, if audited, saying this looks like inventory. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Uh, good, good, good to know. I did not know that you could trade vacant land until just this moment. Uh, we are out of time, Bill. I'm, <laughs> All right. There's, there's still more questions, so maybe we need to do this again in a month. I'm glad to. Uh, folks can, of course, see you at the uh, National Real Estate Summit coming up November 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th here in Cincinnati as well and get lots of good tax tips. So everybody needs to put that on their calendar. We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.